Hello there, this is Tommy G. Kendrick. I'm the producer and host of Actors Talk Podcast, and this will be episode 62, the very first episode of the year 2016. Oh, what an ending to 2015 I had. I won't bore you with all the gory details right here, but just let's say that my website, the podcast site, got hacked the middle of December, and it took me several weeks to put everything back together again. But I was able to do that because of one plugin that I use. And if you are a WordPress user, stick around after the upcoming interview, and I'll tell you what I use to get my site back in its entirety, not without a lot of travail and work on my part, but I was able to restore the whole site, and I'm thankful for that. My interview tonight is with filmmakers Sean Johnson Jr. Tonight. I said tonight. I don't know when you're listening to this. It could be in the middle of the day, but whenever you're listening to it, it's an interview with Sean Johnson Jr., a filmmaker from Houston, Texas. You've met Sean before, if you've been here before. I interviewed Sean several years ago about a little film he did, uh, his first feature film called Down by the River. And uh, then again, about another film called, please called Walk by Faith. And then again with a group of filmmakers I had on for a uh, Google Hangout. So Sean's an old friend of the podcast, and I enjoy talking to him. He does a lot of work. He gets out there and hustles and gets movies made, and they get distribution. So we'll talk about all those sorts of things with Sean in this interview, and also his producing partner on a new project, a beautiful actress, producer, director named Sydney Simone out of Los Angeles, California. I also want to let you know that I have a new audiobook that just dropped a few days ago. It's now available on iTunes and Amazon and Audible.com. It is called Infinite Tomorrow, The Kingdom Chronicles Book One. It's uh, the audiobook version of a book by Lucas Kitchen. It's a really terrific young adult fantasy novel and with a spiritual bent and i hope you'll check that out if you have somebody that would be in the proper age range don't go too young on it it gets a little intense but uh, you know 10 or up even into adult i think would enjoy that infinite tomorrow enough about me stick around after the interview and again i'll tell you about that plug-in to rescue your site if you're a wordpress user and now let's get to the interview with sean johnson jr and sydney simone Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Sean Johnson Jr. and Sydney Simone. Sean, as I told you in the introduction, of course, as, as you know, if you're a longtime listener to Actors Talk podcast, Sean's been on the show how many times? Sean, two, two or three at least. Yeah, on the podcast. maybe twice. Maybe so, because we've we've been um, we've done some episodes about a couple of your past films, and then we did a, a group chat with you and Lamarcus and a couple of other independent filmmakers that goes back a couple of years man time flies doesn't it yeah it, it does it does now the first time i became aware of you sean was when we were talking about a film called uh down by the river and remind me and remind the audience was down by the river your first feature that you produced and acted and acted and starred in yes i did i did a few shots but here and there but that was my very first feature Right, and as I recall, you wrote that, and of course, you played one of the leads in it as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Now, just to catch the audience up, because it's been several years now for Down by the River, what happened with that film? Mm -hmm. Uh, It got completed, and it got distribution, did it not? Yes, it did. Uh, We we completed it. We got it it, um, past post-production, 
And um, we shopped it around to a few uh, um, distributors and uh, Bridgestone Multimedia Group made us the best offer. And uh, we, we decided to go with them and sign the distribution deal with them. And um, it was in Walmarts and Redboxes and Nationwide. And now um, it's being syndicated to go across seas. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that's got to be considered a big success. It's it's uh, it wasn't a quick thing, though, was it? It took a lot of tenacity to get that to, to all happen, did it not? Absolutely. I, I rem- um, me and the director William Molina, um, we started working on it when the the day of uh, the day of uh, President Barack Obama uh, getting into the office. So that was I think in two thousand eight. <laughs> it has been a while. Yes. Wow. Yes, and we released it what uh, two years ago. So it, wow. it was it was like four years, five years in the making. Okay, so I just wanted to lay a little groundwork here to let people know that maybe haven't uh, heard you before one of the other episodes, and I'll put links to those uh, earlier episodes in the show notes for this episode of Actors Talk, so people can go back and find the interviews on those shows. But what I want to get, I'll circle back a little bit and talk to you a little more, Sean, about some of the things you've learned since that very first experience of producing your first feature film and shepherding it all the way through into distribution. But I want to talk to Sydney Simone here a little bit. Sydney, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you. You're, you're a beautiful young woman, and uh, you can never have too many beautiful, talented young women on the podcast. So I uh, I appreciate you spending part of your Friday evening with me. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's all my pleasure. Well, tell, tell the audience a little bit, uh, and, and me, because one of the things I like to do, and Sean's been through this before, uh, is I just kind of like to find out a little bit about who I'm talking to and where you grew up and what your influences artistically were, even as a child. Uh, were you, did you grow up in Texas or Los Angeles or somewhere else? I'm not quite sure. I love Texas. I live in Los Angeles currently, but I'm from Houston and my background is actually in theater. I started out when I was about four, four or five years old in community theater and went from there through grade school and high school and afterwards uh, into local community theaters in Houston and then traveled with those. And I was about 16 the first time I was on a movie set. Oh, really? <laughs> and I wasn't a part of the film. Mm-hmm. It was a local film in Houston. And I wasn't a part of the film. I was just invited by friends to, you know, see what it was like. And that kind of sparked the bug in me. What did, what did you um, feel that for? You said it sparked a bug in you. You know, I, that takes me back to a memory I had when I lived in Los Angeles for about 15 years. I'm in, back in Texas now and have been here for a long time. But I will never forget the first time that I went to Los Angeles in a sort of a, a scouting trip to see if I wanted to move there. And the feeling that I got when I hit Los Angeles and, you know, when you said that about stepping on a, on a film set for the first time, it sort of brought that memory back to me and how exciting that was. What, what was it like even as a youngster there to set, set foot on a film set? What did you think? How, how did it hit you emotionally? It was life changing from that moment forward. Um, like a jolt, actually. It felt like a jolt when I stepped on the set. And it was a pretty big set. There were people everywhere. And I looked around and I saw just the chaos of, you know, set life. And then I looked at the monitor and saw what they were actually capturing. And sparks flew. Was it a, was it a feature film set or a short? It was a feature film. American Dream, the name of it. American Dream. Sparks flew, and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, 
they're taking all of this and making what I'm seeing on this screen. This is how movies are made. <gasps> I want to do this, you know, and it's such a transition going from theater to film that I was really unaware of. That was my beginning. And I started out being a PA at about 17, so the year following, and just worked my way up from there. <laughs> well, what other what other positions besides actor and film have you held and, and do you maybe aspire to work into in terms of film work? Okay, well, like I said, I started out as a PA and that that went on for years. And eventually I worked my way up to a production manager. After having that title under my belt for about two years, I transitioned to Los Angeles. I stuck with that another two years. So four years altogether as a production manager. And then I partnered up with four other creatives and we started our own company. And recently, Passive Daughters was my first um, feature film that I directed. Okay. Well, so that's that a big was step. huge for me. That was uh, um, really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was well, really exciting. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested. So what? where is your focus in the business? Do you want to continue acting, or would you prefer to stay behind the camera directing and producing? Both. Tell me how the directing gig came about in Pastor's Daughters, because I, I did watch a, a rough cut of the film, and as you say, you directed it, but you also have a significant role in the picture. Which came first? When I first got the call from one of the executive producers uh, was to be an actor in the film to play one of the sisters, uh, Tierra was my character's name. The producer that called for me to be a part of the film was my old boss that I PA'd and did production management for, for New Kingdom Pictures. So he was really familiar with uh, my work, my background. So he asked me to direct it. And I said, awesome, you know, I'd, I'd love to. So then he connected Sean and I, and we met up, and um, I think we started at a Starbucks, <laughs> and we switched scenes to a Papados, and had <laughs> you know the script all over the table, our laptops on the table, crab fingers, and we stayed there until the place closed. You know, and out here in LA, most offices are at coffee shops, which you know, which works out here. But in Houston, Papados really did suffice. You know, it worked out great. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good office. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I could never do that. I, I would weigh a thousand pounds if my office was at Papados. <laughs> yeah. I think we both had, had our fair share of good food throughout this production. Let me ask you one other thing, Sydney, and we'll bring Sean back into the conversation. Had you ever directed prior, a short or anything prior to taking on helming uh, the pastor's daughters? I've AD'd before. I've never had full-on director's title. I've done sketch comedy pieces with the company that I'm a part of, Dream Landing Company. And I've done a short film that I'm working on now that's not out yet. The Beauty of Freedom is the name of that. Uh, this was my director's debut. So what were the challenges for you as both the director and an actor. I mean, that's that's a tough gig. What sort of discipline did you have to have to focus on your acting when you're acting, but also keep in mind whatever you needed to accomplish as a director? What kind of a challenge did that present for you? It was a challenge, but more than that, it was a lot of fun. Honestly, I think if it wasn't for 
the amazing cast and crew that we had, I don't know if I would have been able to pull it off. Um, it was a really tough situation, but cast and crew very quickly became like a family. And, you know, we all wore hats when need be. The directing part was actually a lot of fun with this group. It was, it was a lot of fun. We were really animated and everyone took direction really well. And they were extremely talented and disciplined themselves. So they didn't make my job very hard at all. It, it's all in the passion, really, to direct and act on one project. I think you have to still have that passion and that hunger burning inside of you to keep the discipline and the focus to get the project done. But again, if it wasn't for the cast and crew that I was blessed with for this project, I don't know if it would have had the same turnout. What was your style as a director? I've worked with a lot of different directors and some directors are more, you know, worried about the camera and where they're putting the camera and what the shot's going to look like. And they don't deal that much with the actors. They expect the actors to be professionals and to deliver the performance. And they don't necessarily say that much to you unless you didn't give them what they wanted. Some directors, on the other hand, are not that focused on the camera, but are more intensely focused on dealing with the actors one-on-one. -on -one. Where, where did you fit in, into those type styles? I was really hands-on on both ends where the camera placement was and the emotion that the actors were giving me in um, placements <laughs> that they were in. We had a lot of rehearsals and everyone was so comfortable that it, it was really an, an easy set. You know, um, we made sure that we got everything that we needed and then we made sure that we got extra things to you know, kind of play with and make sure that we had enough to cover. Because it was a pretty big cast. Like, we'd have a room with maybe six to eight cast members all on camera at once, which for an independent film, that, that's a lot for sure. multiple scenes. Yeah. You know, especially throughout the movie. Like, throughout the movie, it was multiple characters on camera at once. Yeah. Um, so throughout it, it was a lot of, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I was pretty hands-on on both ends. Uh, jumping back and forth between directing, being on camera, <laughs> and then going back to look at the footage, that, that was the tricky part. It was a lot easier when I wasn't on camera. Sure, um, sure. But thanks to Sean <laughs> and our DP, it, it worked out. What sort of a shooting schedule did you have? We had seven days to this film and we had seven hours a day. Sean, how did you first get involved with this project, The Pastor's Daughters? Me and Sydney have a mutual uh, bi uh, business partner and me and Dan, uh, the, 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 the mutual partner that we both uh, share, we was working on another project called Swift Justice with uh, Lee Majors. And as we was filming it, I think Dan got a script from, the, and the writer name is uh, Carlos Powell. He got a script from Carlos. He thought that it would be great if we could find a location to do this in Houston. And so I was like, okay, well, send me the script and let me read over it and uh, see what we could do. So when I when I read it, I, it, it gave me some interest in it and piqued my my interest. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do it. And so we, we just started planning from there. We, we set a budget. Dan uh, flew Sydney down from LA to, to Houston and helped me out, which which was tremendous because we had a lot of ro uh, roadblocks, but we, we ended up hurtling all, all, all over them. 
Well, let's talk about the roadblocks because other independent filmmakers and young filmmakers are going to want to know what you had to overcome and how you overcame it. What were the biggest roadblocks that that you uh, hurdles that you had to overcome? In Houston, um, we don't have enough films to keep actors and crew working full time. So these people have to heavily rely on nine to five jobs. Okay. When that happens, you know, you could only do a certain amount of things in a certain amount of uh, time. Everyone has a different schedule. Everyone has their own their own life to live. And it's very difficult to kind of schedule around everyone. Sure. Not with this group of, of cast, but sometimes it's hard for people to understand that you can't, you know, it's, it's hard to balance everything. The toughest parts to me was was to get the get cast and crew on the same page. You know, if you're dealing, like you say, with a situation where people have jobs and that's not uncommon, particularly in the low budget indie world, you're, you're going to have to work around those schedules to a certain extent, especially if, you know, the, the actor that you really want you know, has a gig that they have to have to pay the mortgage. I mean, you, you have to work with that. Right. You have to work with that. I think that's why a lot of really low budget films, you know, sometimes they're shot over a number of weekends. Did you shoot seven consecutive days? Seven consecutive days. Uh, we, we initially mm-hmm. wanted to shoot it in five days, which is crazy. <laughs> um, I don't know who would sign up for that, but we, we wanted to do it in five days. Obviously, went over over schedule, so we we asked for another two days um, at the locations, yeah. and they granted us they granted us two extra days. So we end up doing a, a feature film in seven days. It helped that you had a single location, basically. Would yeah. you say that was a key to trying to accomplish you know what you did in such a short period of time? I mean, obviously, if you're having to do company moves between various locations. Yes, everything was shot in that in that facility, um, outside and inside of that facility. We we just took advantage of every room that they had. It's it's actually like a emergency corporation, and it's where the uh, medical staff come to to train instead of going to live hospitals and, and doing the, the training there. So uh, we was able to use that location and and just build it and mold it around the hospital. Yeah, let's explore that just for a minute. You have a film that was basically set in and around a hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, the first the first challenge, you know, somebody's going to look at, I think if if you're reading the script is where are we going to, you know, are we going to shoot this in an office building and try to dress it and make it look like a hospital or whatever. You actually were able to find a a training facility. Did you already know about that or did did you have a location manager or someone to go out and seek that out and and you go oh boy we found it you know how did how did use of that facility come about um the owner uh jeremy um of that of that corporation uh, we end up we we're, we're good friends and we had a we have a good relationship for a couple of years now so it was it was very simple for us to go back into the hospital we just so happened to you know shoot back in the hospital so it was it was just as easy as going back um setting a meeting and, and getting the times that we could shoot. Okay, so you already knew this person and knew that he had this facility available. Yes, yes. So it's great to have great relationships. Pastor's Daughters, is that the name of the, the film, right? Yes, Pastor's Daughters. So is it still in post right now? Yes, it's in post. From what I'm, what I'm understanding right now, it's being color corrected and, and some, some audio uh, is being fixed on it, but it should be out, I, I want to say, around the second quarter of this year. Well, you say it should be out. Do you already have distribution lined up then, or was that set before you even started filming? Yes, and and I'm glad you said that because uh, what people do, uh, most people don't understand is that you you need to uh, well the right way about it to, to go about it is to have a distribution company already interest, interested in your film before you actually make the film. 
if you go by that, then, you know, it's 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 giving you the opportunity to make the film with the insurance that, you know, th- this film is going to be picked up. So just to say all that is is, uh, is is key to saying that, you know, before we started shooting past the daughters, we already had the distribution company lined up. So all we had to do is just shoot it. And, 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 and that was the easy part. Okay, so so far, it seems like you've identified an audience that you want to make films for, at least for right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, if I could elaborate on this, but what's selling right now is um, animal films, um, <laughs> anything with, with, with dogs or cats. And I'm serious, horses, that's why a lot of people are doing like these um, animal films, because that's what's, uh, what's trending, and faith-based films. Um, you'll be surprised how many people who go to church on Sundays after church, they go straight to the movies. Yeah. Um, and so those two people are the people that, that, that has the base audience, especially for with the films that we, we make. So which is fake base. So that's the two markets that we, we try to tackle as much as possible, at least for, for now. Well, for other filmmakers who might be interested in tapping into similar markets, what would, what would your advice be on how to approach those stories? I mean, is, What's what are the most important elements? Is it story? Is it cast? Um, you know, is it is, is it having a name person? Is it is it a theme that will uh, appeal to to some issue that's that's hot? Gotcha. I would say don't, don't try to. Uh, I w- me personally, I wouldn't try to uh, film something that's hot at the moment because once you film these movies, it takes about a good six months before. Uh, after you finish it, it is complete in order for it to actually hit the shelf. Yeah. So by six months, you know, six months, a lot could change. So I wouldn't, I would stay away from what's hot at the moment. And I would just stick to what category you want to do. Right. A lot of people want to uh, try to mix the movie with horror and action and suspense and thriller. And I mean, that's a lot of things that you want to tackle. So what I would do is, is stick to one genre um, and make the film solely about that. Um, instead of trying to squeeze everything into one, one, one project. Yeah, that's an awesome point. Most of your films so far have been more family-centered. I mean, and I don't mean necessarily family like Disney-type movie, but family dynamics. Well, that's a very rich territory to mine, so I think you're doing a, a great job at that. Uh, thank you. And, and uh, two other things. It was, yeah. uh, if you can, try to get uh, name talent as much as possible on your project. Okay. Um, that, that that really helps with distribution companies. You know, once you go to these distribution companies and tell them that you have a name talent, um, you know, you could expect more um, out of the deal from the distribution companies. Right. And uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, the number one thing um, about distribution companies is language. So um, if you if you could stay away from bad language as much as possible, that's what I would suggest because that's the number one thing that they're very picky on is is what kind of language you're using. Now, are you talking about the faith-based market specifically? Is that what you're referring to? Um, even even outside of the faith-based uh, markets, um, if, you know, if 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 you wanna if you want a better chance at getting it getting the distribution sealed, then language is. I think if you if you curse three times or, or four times, then it automatically jump up to a rated R film. And so, you know, you want to just be mindful of what you want to convey um, so you could have a better chance of getting everyone to watch the film. Sydney, do you have any thoughts about some of the things we've been talking about in terms of, of, of marketing and distribution and that type of thing? You have your own company, so I'm sure you, you discuss and think about these issues at length. What do you have anything you might want to add about, you know, the, the, what we've been talking about? Oh, absolutely. I I think with film, film, excuse me, in general, all of those things matter, whether it's web-based material, commercial, um, 
short film, student film, feature film. Um, those are all very important topics. Um, going back actually a little further when Sean was talking about, um, location scouting, um, just for filmmakers out there, I know a really important note that I keep on (laughs) post-its, take pictures, take pictures, take pictures, take pictures when you find your location. It helps so much when you have that canvas there to look at as you're going over and you're line producing and you're making your shot list. John and I walked through the location. Um, It didn't take us long. We walked through and we took pictures and those pictures helped us with the rest of pre-production and we didn't have to go back until our first table reading. Um, But when you have those pictures there and you have pictures of your cast and you have your script there and you make your, and you line produce it and you make your shot list, it makes it so much easier. We were able to go in and I each um, location on location and say, okay, for this scene that these characters are in, or on this location, we know that this is the equipment that we'll need. And then we can take that to art department. The more organized you are in pre-production, the easier you're making it for yourself. Sure. You know, if you're extremely tedious with every single thing that you do, it makes your job so much easier. Um, so that, that was one thing I wanted to touch on. Pictures are extremely important. And then, of course, when you're on set, continue to take pictures if you have to go back and do any reshoots. Um, thank goodness we didn't have that problem. <laughs> but, yeah, so for location, that was one note. Yeah. Um, networking is extremely important. You know, marketing yourself is something that you continue to learn to do throughout your years in this business. Um, and even networking, not just with people, like, not just as an actress, I don't just network with other actors. Um, I network with all types of filmmakers um, in, in all the fields. I don't care if you're an editor, if you do sound, it's just good to know because you never know who's going to open or introduce you to your next opportunity or if you can use them for a project. Um, you know, working together is one of the key things in this business. Oh, and time management. That's another note. If you're not good with time management, make sure you have somebody there that is constantly reminding you of the time, um, what you need to get done, (laughs) how much time you have left to get it done, and if there's any time left over, so on and so forth. And and Tommy, let me chime in, please. Um, She... she uh, Sydney is very, very organized, and I'm glad you said that because it was so many times we was working in the office, and um, I would I would get you know so many things done, and then I would step out and come back, and then she have another stack of things for me to do, and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that I was missing so many things, and I should have known better because she carried around a gold pen, and a gold pen should have told me that she mean business. <laughs> there you so go. So she was awesome with organizing everything. <laughs> Uh, okay, guys, we're going to have to wrap this up. It's been a lot of fun to talk about uh, this project and, and independent filmmaking in general and to talk about Sydney, but to meet you and get you introduced some to the Actors Talk audience. Hang in there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Sean one last time here, and then, and then we'll end the call. But I really did enjoy meeting you this evening, Sydney. Well, so did I. Thanks so much. It was such a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. 
Sean, I wanted to mention that you have a screenwriting workshop coming up in Houston shortly. Why don't you tell me about that? We'll also have links to that on the show notes, but tell me about your screenwriting workshop. Yes. I come from a, a really good uh, background of screenwriting. I went to New York Film Academy um, some years back and I graduated top of my class. And so um, a lot of things that they taught me was um, how to complete a screenplay um, 99.9% of the time. And so what I want to do is host a second screenwriting workshop. The first one that I did was very successful. And we, we taught the students how to complete a screenplay from beginning to end and offered the uh, uh, sessions if, you know, for anyone that, that needed extra help or needed just to be reminded of how exactly to do it. But if you follow these, these certain sequences that I, that, that I have um, to teach, you know, um, if you come to the class, then I could absolutely show you how to convey your, your thought into a feature uh, screenplay. And um, it's the, the, the workshop is being uh, held on January 16th. It's from 3 to 6 p.m. The cost is $75 per student. And that comes with, uh, you know, just having an opportunity to learn how to create screenplays forever. So it's a small investment, but it could definitely pay off in the long run. I'm going to assist you as much as I possibly can and offer myself and make myself available for everyone that takes the class. Does somebody need any experience to benefit from this? Or is this something a, a complete novice would be able to take uh, as an outline and a way to get started? Or, you know, what, what's the experience level to maximize what someone can get out of this type of a workshop? Okay, if you understand questions, then you, you definitely are. Uh, um, should apply to the class. Screenplays are all about questions, and that's the main goal. When you leave the class, you understand the questions that you need to ask yourself. And if you have those, it's 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 a certain sequence that you have to follow. What that that I was taught from New York Film Academy, and those eight sequences help you create your screenplay. When you leave the class, then you you'll know exactly where to go and how to write it. One thing I just want to reiterate, you have to know the story from front to end before you actually sit down and type any word um, on the computer. And that's the way that, that registers the, the best the best method to, to get the screenplay done. Because if you sit down at a computer and you just want to start typing away, then you could actually, you know, get get stuck in and hit those barriers and roadblocks and then it becomes in not interesting anymore. So if you have fun with those questions and involve the story before you actually sit at the computer, you know, you got a better sh a better shot at creating something that's very compelling. We're going to supply everything. We're going to supply you with the pen and paper. You don't have to have a laptop if you don't, if you don't have one, um, because what I'm going to supply you with everything that you will need. Like I said, um, January 16th, um, it's going to be a Lone Star College uh, library. Um, from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. And you can register um, on your on your Actors Talk, uh, Talk Podcast com. Yeah, I'll I'll put a link there for people to get to to where they can register. Well, th thanks so much, Sean Johnson, Sydney Simone. It's been a, a fun conversation. You guys are the very first episode for the new year of Actors Talk, so I, I'm excited to have uh, this episode up. We'll get the word out uh, about what you guys are up to. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being a part of Actors Talk podcast. I, I really enjoyed talking to both of you. Thank, Thank you, Tommy. We appreciate it. All right. God bless, guys, and we'll we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks so much to Sean and Sydney for the interview. Really, really enjoyed talking to them. I always enjoy talking to Sean. As I said earlier, he's been on the podcast several times, and I really um, think he's a really creative uh, guy, a good actor, a writer, 
and producer. And it's a pleasure to always talk to him about his latest projects. And it was good to meet Sydney for the first time. Okay, so what happened to my website? Yeah, yeah. I woke up uh, the morning of December 14th, how well I remember it, to the message, an email message telling me that my site had been taken offline by Bluehost because of malware. Oh, joy. And I uh, went to Bluehost and said, what can I do? And they said, well, we'll clean that up for you for $250. That wasn't a very attractive option for me, especially being two weeks before Christmas. Didn't really want to be that to be my Christmas present. So I tried to do the cleaning myself and found that uh, some really nice person had bombarded my site with over 12,000 infected files that uh, were identified, and I tried to clean them up, and it was just impossible. But I also knew that I had a backup from uh, with a plugin that I use called Backup Buddy. And even though I had Backup Buddy and knew that I had a full backup, including all the databases and pictures and posts and everything, still I had never gone through the process before, and it was a little, a little tense on my part. I, I, I wasn't sure... It was it would actually work. But after trying to clean the site up and all that and getting a little help from Bluehost and some help from Backup Buddy tech support, I decided to go ahead and pull the trigger. I wiped the entire, the entire site clean, got rid of all the infected files, and then just did a restore from my Backup Buddy plugin, and all was good. The instructions were really pretty clear after you settle down and uh, read them through a few times, even if you're not the most tech-savvy person. So I highly recommend, if you are a WordPress user, please use even a free plugin. But Backup Buddy does cost money. I think it originally cost me about $75, and then every year it's about, I don't know, 40 or $50 to renew. But it certainly proved to be worth it. So... If you're a WordPress user and you have a website or what, whatever uh, system you're on, you, you need to back up and use uh, Backup Buddy if you can. Uh, if that works with your site, it certainly works with WordPress, and it saved my bacon four years worth of podcasts. I really didn't want to lose all that content. So thanks to the Backup Buddy plugin. That's my recommendation to you. Thanks so much for joining me on Actors Talk. I'll uh, try to put together another episode a little more quickly than last time. It was a rough end of the year. If you've been around a while, you've probably heard me talk about my mom in the past. Mom passed away on October 6th and uh, just in a couple of days, she would be would have been 99 years old. So she almost made it to 99, but uh didn't didn't quite make it, but uh, that was the kind of the end of the year. But miss miss my mom, but uh, she was quite a character, and uh, lived a great life. So, anyway, that's what's going on with me. Thank you so much for joining me on Actors Talk Podcast, episode sixty two. I hope to see you here again. God bless you all. This is Tommy. So long.